Welcome to the Bethany Community Church Sermon Podcast. This ministry is intended to inspire you and help bring solutions to the challenges of life. Today's message is titled, Heart First, and it is part of the Loving God Sermon Series. For more information about other ministries here at Bethany Community Church, you can check us out at our website at bccma.org, or you could always send us an email at office at bccma.org. And now, here's Pastor Phil McCutcheon. So, we're going to jump back into this series on loving God, and nothing is more important in the Word of God according to Christ, and we're going to see it in a minute in the Scripture. Nothing is more central to the Christian life than you loving God. But it's not easy to tell somebody to love something. Because, you know, you love something because you love it. Some of you love different things. You love pizza, right? How many of you love pizza? You love Mexican food. You love, you love the Red Sox. You love the, the Bruins. You, you, you don't know why you love these things. You just do. Uh, and if you get ordered to love something, it kind of takes the joy out of it, doesn't it? I remember uh, years ago... Uh, traveling out in California, and I was a, I was a young preacher, 19, 20 years old, and I'd been invited by this, uh, in our denominational circles, a pretty well-known pastor and his wife, and the pastor's wife was kind of known because she had written all these songs, and some of them were in our, son, our hymn book that we sang, so I was pretty excited about getting to go preach for Kenny and Lois Irwin in San Diego, California, uh, all those years ago. And so I, I get there, and I'm very excited to be there. I didn't know that Lois, who, uh, who, who we became big, great friends, we traveled to the Middle East together and all kinds of great things, but she had a plan for my life. You know, God loved me, and Lois had a plan for my life. And her plan included her daughter. And, and uh, I'll never forget, one day we're riding in the van, and I'm sitting next to her daughter, Melody, and Lois turns to me and says, what's wrong with you, Phil? Put your arm around her. And that was, you know, that's before we use the word awkward a lot. But that was awkward. That was really awkward. So I wasn't able to, uh, I, we, we became friends, but I wasn't able to generate the kind of feelings for Melody that Lois had in mind for me. And so is it kind of like that when you say, love God? And you're going, well... I love pizza. I love, I love the Red Sox. Love God? I don't know. Well, I want to I kind of unpack, if I can this morning, I believe we can unpack some of the mysteries of that because God insists that that's what I have to do. That he insists, in fact, he, he says in a text we're going to read in a minute that it's the number one commandment is to love him. First uh, Corinthians 8 I'm just going to give you a couple of verses here that illustrate the centrality of loving God. One is 1 Corinthians 8, 2 says, Anyone who claims to know all the answers doesn't really know very much. But the person who loves God is the one whom God recognizes. That's, pretty, that's a pretty astounding phrase, isn't it? That if I, I love him, he knows me and recognizes me. And then we find in John 5, 1 John 5, 2, this is how we know we love God's children when we love God and we obey his commands. Now, that, there's a little clue to how it works. So how about if we give people a path to knowing and loving God instead of just saying love him, feel love for him, which is what Lois was trying to get me to do, to feel something that I didn't feel. 
instead of trying to get you to feel something that you may or may not feel. And some days I feel very, very much in love with God. Some days I don't. But God doesn't say, I want you to feel love for me. He says, I want you to love for me. Let's kind of unpack what that is. And we're going to go to Mark chapter 12, verse 28. Very famous passage of scripture that many of you are aware of. It says, one of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, Jesus answered, uh, is this. Now, I would have thought Jesus would say, well, they're all important or something like that. But Jesus says, yeah, there, there, is, there is a commandment that's more important to me than any other. This most, uh, um, of all the commandments, which is the most important, the most important one, Jesus answered, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. Now, that's a, that's a prayer. Called, I believe it's called a Shabbat that the Jews would say every day. And so they would say this prayer every day. And, and I think that's kind of cool that God uh, is so good to us that he actually gives us something that we're already uh, interested in. <laughs> you know what I mean? So the second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Well said, teacher, the man replied, you are right in saying that God is one and there is no other but, but him. To love him with all your heart, with all your understanding, with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And from that from then on, no one dared ask him any questions. You know what I love about God is that you dig in his word, you find out how reasonable God is. He's not like that awkward moment trying to make you feel something you don't feel. Uh, it's more like his, his, his instructions for us to love him. It's more like what a parent does with a child. You, you bring children into this world and you know that if you don't teach them to respect you and obey you and love you and treat you with honor, you know you're hurting their future. You know that when they're little bitty kids, you realize if, if I let this child, if I let them be defiant and, and unkind to me, I am not blessing them. And I think that's kind of the way it is with God. And that's kind of what we see here. God is saying, I have put my love on these people. And they're going to be damaged. Their future is going to be damaged if they don't know how to love me back. So I'm, I'm not just going to tell them to have feelings. And you know that it, it, that's the way it is with our, chi our children. Uh, if we're a good parent, and I think most of us are at least trying to be good parents, we're not, we're not demanding they feel a certain way. We're demanding and, and we're expecting them to behave in a certain way. We're, we're expecting them to behave in a loving way. So God's given us a path. Now, this is not legalism. This is not, this is not satisfying the holiness of God by how well you obey. No, this is not that at all. This is about a relationship. This is about getting in congruence with God, to getting your life in harmony with God so you and God are enjoying each other. So you and, you and God are very much enjoying each other and you're enjoying each other's presence and you're experiencing him and he's experiencing you and your life is experiencing the very best thing you can ever experience, which is God and his presence. So... 
as we look at what God says for us to do, I break it down in three ways. Number one, God is saying, make loving me your priority. Make loving me your priority. You're in church today, so I assume that for you, on this day at least, coming to church was your priority. You may or may not have felt like coming. Maybe you really did. That's great. But some of you probably didn't. I have Sunday mornings when I don't really feel like coming over here. Some, some days I can't wait to get here. Most of the times I can't wait, but sometimes I don't feel like being here emotionally and physically. But it's my priority. So, number one, make it a priority. The second is make loving God your practice. That doesn't sound, that maybe that sounds like bondage to you, but that doesn't sound like bondage to me. When God says, okay, I'm not going to demand you make it your emotion, but I want you to make it your practice of loving me with your life. You got to do something with your life. You might as well spend it loving me. The third thing that I want to point out to you today is making loving God your purpose. I hope that in the next, uh, you know, 25 minutes or so, when I, as I finish up, that you could walk out of here deciding that the reason you are created is to love God. And that's the one purpose you're going to fulfill with your life is, is satisfying the reason you exist is to show God love and to enjoy him. So first of all, loving God is a priority. Think about it. The almighty, all-knowing, everywhere present God says more than anything else, I want you to love me. <coughs> That's really amazing. I, I think it's fairly obvious from Genesis chapter 3, 8, and 9 where it says God came and walked with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day, that that was God's habit and that was God's desire that he walk and talk with humans that, that, that he have a relationship with us. Augustine said it this way. Thou hast made us for thyself, O Lord. Our heart is restless until it finds its rest in thee. So not subservience or sacrifice, but love was central to God's relationship with us. God could have made sacrifice. That's what a lot of pagan religions have done through the years. They will make sacrifice Sacrificing your oldest child or things like that. Sacrifice will become the greatest call that you could do. Going for, some, for one particular religion, the way you express it is you go door to door and you invite other people to follow your faith. And that's core. And that's becoming a missionary for them is core. God doesn't give you anything like that. God says, I want at the core of your priority to be loving me. I want you to figure that out. Romans 8, 28 says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him and those who have been called according to his purpose. I love the disciple John. He was uh, the disciple who you recall one day, if you go over to John chapter 13, and we'll read it in a minute. If you go over to John chapter 13, you recall the scene that may seem a little odd to us, but... The disciples are sitting around, and he leans over on Jesus' chest. And there, he, he's, you, you read these words. As Jesus began to have a conversation with the disciples, you read these words. The disciple that Jesus loved. And I used to really puzzle over that. I would, I would read that and think, that doesn't seem like a very smart thing for the Lord to do. To write, to put in the word... Here's the disciple that I love. 
How did that make everybody else feel? I mean, I, I wouldn't do that in a, in, in, a, in a staff meeting. I wouldn't say, here's the staff member that I love. Because immediately that implies that I love this staff member and I, more than I love the other staff members. That, that's immediately what that implies. Or if I were to say, get up here and say, oh, there's, uh, 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 there's Marcus, the church member that I love. Everybody else said, what are we, chopped liver? And you know, I, I, w- I was really being dense. And I realized how dense I was being. I reread it the other day. And I realized, Phil, I can't believe you didn't get that. That wasn't Jesus talking. That was John talking. That was John writing, I am the disciple that Jesus loves. And what was John saying? Was John saying he was better than everybody else? No. That wasn't at all what John was saying, and he proved it with his life, because it was John who shows up at the foot of the cross to take care of Jesus' mother. So it wasn't, he wasn't saying, I'm better than everybody else at all. That wasn't at all what he was saying. John wasn't, wasn't, wasn't saying, he was saying, of all the things in life that I feel good about, of all the things that give me value, of all the things that make me feel significant, the thing that really makes me feel most significant is knowing that Jesus loves me. The thing that I'm most proud of, the thing that means the most to me, the thing that is of the highest value is that Jesus loves me. And when I read it differently, I realized, God, that's, that's the kind of man I want to become. I want to become a man whose greatest claim to significance is that Jesus loves him, that Jesus cares about him, that I I want to become a man whose greatest sense of who I am and my greatest sense of my value is not how good I perform or how good I preach or don't preach or how well I pastor the church or or how uh, much money I make, but the greatest value is that I am loved by God. And that's what Jesus was getting at when he says the greatest commandment is to love God because the, because the Bible says that we don't love him. That, that the Bible says we love him because he first loved us. So that's the foundation of your whole life. Your foundation of your whole life is that God loves you. Turn to somebody next to you and say, God loves me. Just say it, say it emphatically like that. Loving God is our priority. Loving God is our practice. Simon Peter, who was also there that day, Simon Peter wanted to love God. But when the pressure was on, and when, when, when stress came into his life, and he got confused, we know he lost his way. And he not only, he not only failed to love God, he, he denied that he even knew him. He denied that he even knew Jesus. And most people, most of you are aware of that story during the, during the passion of Christ, when Christ was about to be crucified. Simon Peter, Jesus had told Simon Peter this was going to happen to him. And so Jesus goes and finds Simon Peter after, the, after he had risen from the dead. He goes and finds him. And, you know, 
if, I, if in my life somebody that works for me or does something that kind of messes up and doesn't do what they said they would do, um, I'm probably going to try to find them and uh, find out how they can make restitution, how, how they can make up for it, how they can, how they can uh, pay for that, take care of that, go back and take care of that. But Jesus is not like me, of course. And Jesus goes and finds Simon Peter, and he says to Simon Peter, Simon, do you love me? And this is found in uh, John chapter 21, verse 15. Jesus says, do you love me? And Simon Peter says, yes, of course I love you. And Jesus says to him, as we see in the text there, feed my lambs. And again, again says, Jesus says, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, take care of my sheep. And the third time he said, son of John, uh, do you love me? And Peter then replied, uh, uh, Peter was hurt, the Bible says, because Jesus asked him the third time. He said, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. So, so Jesus goes in to, to talk to him and doesn't ask him to make retribution. Doesn't say, Peter, you need to pay for one thing. One thing you need to know about God. And this is, this, this is so comforting. And this should make some of you very, very happy. <laughs> One thing you need to know about God is he will never ask you to pay for your sins. You know that? He will never ask you to pay for your sins. And he, he, he will call you out and tell you that you sin. He, he will correct you. He's not a wimp. But he will never ask you to do what he knows you cannot do. And that is pay for your sins. He pays the bills. Jesus pays the bills. So Jesus didn't go, Peter, you got to pay up. You got to make up for what you did. He said, Peter, I only want to know one thing. Do you love me? I don't know if that kind of thrills you like it does me, but I, that kind of thrills me. I just, that does something in my heart that Jesus comes to me today and he doesn't want to know, uh, he doesn't want to know what I'm going to do to make up for my mistakes, and I've made a lot of them. He doesn't, he, 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 he doesn't, ask me a lot of questions. He doesn't ask me uh, about my performance necessarily. He just wants to know, do you, are, you, are you ready to sign up for this program of loving me with all your heart? I want to know that today. I, I want to know that in this room right now. Uh, as some of you look at this year ahead of you and you're, 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 you're trying to have a better year than you had last year. And even if you had a good year last year, you want year this year to be better like I do. I want, I want some of you to sign up for that program. I, I'm going to make the most important practice of my life this year is to love God. Now, now I want you to notice uh, how Simon, how he told him to do it. <coughs> he, he, he doesn't just say, do you love me? Uh, t uh, and, and let's make you feel like you love me. Again, he doesn't do that. He's, he gives him a practical Service, feed my sheep, take care of my people. You know those other image bearers, those other people that are made in my image. I don't. You're not going to be able to get to me, Simon Peter. I'm going to. I'm going to be in a place. I, I'm not going to really need you. <laughs> I'm not going to really need anything you could offer me. You. You don't have anything for me. 
See, see that, that's the thing about loving God, and that's the thing that can be a little difficult. You say, yes, I love you, and then God says, well, I don't really need anything from you. Okay? Because the, the, way we, the way we express love is by finding out what people's needs are. That, that, that's how you love people, is you find out what they need. And then you provide their needs, and that, that way you're able to prove to them that you love them. But God has no needs. <laughs> Jesus has no needs. In, in fact, uh, later we'll read, uh, we'll read some verses, I think, that, that talk about that. But, but he, 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 says, he says, I want you to do, I, I, I don't want you to make up for the past, but here's what I want you to do. I want you to take care of my people. Take care of my sheep. You want to say, Pastor Phil, well, how, how do I practice the love of God? How can I start practicing it? Look around. Look around in this room right now. These people that are around you, take care of them. Don't live disconnected lives from them. Don't use them. Don't abuse them. Don't talk bad about them behind their backs. The way you treat the people that are in this room will be the only demand that Jesus will make of you. The only demand that he will make of you is that you take care and you nurture and you care and you elevate and you, you appreciate and you minister to the people that are in this room. And you take care of them and you look for ways to express that. Sometimes you will express it by signing up for something, yes. I don't know if you can love God and never sign up for anything. I just don't know if that's possible, to love God and never sign up for anything. I think, I think if you love God, you're going to sign up for something sometimes that involves serving other people. You may sign up for the happy place, or you may sign up for the nursery, you may sign up for the hospitality team, or you may sign up to be a host for community groups, or you may sign up over at the Blessing Barn and go over there and help them during the week that some of you are doing so beautifully, by the way, and we're so appreciated. Or maybe there's some place in the community that's not even connected to this church. Well, there it's all connected, but you know what I mean. Maybe, maybe it's a program in the community. Maybe you're going to be like, like, uh, like Jerry Colbreth. Some of you know Jerry Colbreth. If you go to the emergency room at Milford Hospital, you're probably going to see Jerry Colbreth there because he volunteers there all the time. And he's give, there, just like he used to do at the Blessing Barn, just like he used to do at the food bank, I mean. When he ran the food bank, he gave everybody hugs. That was, his, that was how he paid everybody for coming. He gave them hugs. And now he's giving hugs down at the emergency room because he gets it. He gets it that l we cannot love God whom we have not seen if we do not love our brother whom we have seen. That's what Jesus said to Simon Peter. Simple, Simon. Take care of people's needs. Feed them. Take care of them. Whatever they need, take care of them. Then you'll be in my love. Interesting. Uh, 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 this is a little side note here, but interesting that uh, some Bible scholars believe it's significant that Jesus and Simon Peter were using two different words for love. Uh, Jesus was using the word agape, which means unconditional love of God, and Simon Peter was using the word phileo, which means I love you like a loyal friend. Now, I, I don't for sure know what that meant. This is the way the translators translated what they said. And, and j just because you and I would use two different words doesn't mean that, that we mean something entirely different. It doesn't mean that. 
So I don't entirely know what the deal is here with these using two different words, but we know it's very interesting. It's the last time. It's not up there anymore. But the last time when Jesus says, uh, uh, do you love me, he used the same word. The the translators translate the same word, phileo. So I'm not sure, but I kind of think, here's my bias in reading that passage, is that God is always willing to come down to my level. I said, God, okay, today I can only give you X. And God says, okay, I'll get excited about X. It's kind of, kind of like when your kids give you socks for Christmas. <laughs> Thank you for the socks. They're beautiful. And God's like that with you. Sometimes you can't say agape, but you can say phileo. And he says, I'll take it because you're my child. You are so loved You can't believe it. You can't believe how loved you are. And I know you're not going to feel it all the time. Because the world is a hard place. And life is hard. And people are confusing. Even Christians are confusing. But you'll keep coming back. You'll keep coming back to the knowledge of the love of God. You will not be able to get away from it. And you, you will deny it. And sometimes you will not feel it. But by the end of the day, uh, uh, you will find out that God loves you. And, and Elisa, you and I had a nice talk here this, this, this at prayer one night. And I know you've been through a lot in the last couple of years. I know you've been through a lot, but I love the little story you told me where God just showed up for you. And I know you could tell me, you could tell me a bunch of ways that it's kind of seemed God didn't kind of let you down, right? You got some of those stories, too. But in spite of that, there was this one story where some things happened with Lisa's life that God had to do that. God, God had to make that happen. It had to be God. It had to be the love of God. And if you will just open your eyes and open your heart, every one of you will find out that you're deeply loved by God. Now, there's, that comes with obligation. And the obligation that God says is, I want you to love me back. I want you to love me back. You're not gonna, your, your love's not going to look as good as mine, but I still want it. I still want it. Let's finally, let's, let's close with talking about um, loving God as our purpose. When an idea or a vision becomes central to an organization, we call it, it its purpose, right? Everybody know who Mike Lindell is? Mike Lindell? Everybody know about MyPillow? You know, the, my, he's the MyPillow guy. Is there any doubt in your mind That his purpose for existing is for you to have the best night's sleep of your life. (laughs) Is there any doubt that that's... I'm convinced now that he really feels that way. He just seems so sincere, doesn't he? I I noticed he had a book out that tells about his his cocaine addiction and all these horrible things he went through. But uh, a few, a few um, weeks, maybe months now, Sherry bought us a couple of those pillows. And I was a skeptic, you know. I was a skeptic. I took the pillow, and I slept on it. And guess what? I had the best night's sleep of my life. <laughs> I love that pillow. I really do. I'm not trying to sell them. I'm not trying to sell I don't care if you buy one or not. God says, just like Mike Lindell is so 
abusive, effusive about wanting you to have the best night's sleep of your life. God is effusive about one thing. I want you to love me. That's the thing that I want you to, um, that I want to be your purpose in life. Can, do you think you could do that? Everybody, does everybody here think you could do that today? That you could decide that the reason I'm alive and the reason I'm going to do everything I do from now on for the rest of my life, I, I'm going to simplify my life. I'm just going to, I'm going to simplify it down to the reason I'm going to do everything I do is because I love God. I think you can do that. I get to get a feeling, some of you, phew, that's a relief. That's all they want of me. <laughs> and that's the truth. Now, I know it's scary because we know that some people put their head on a chopping block and let their heads be cut off because of this statement. And I can't tell you how that works, that you get there, that you get there. But that shows you how powerful this is. That shows you how powerful this is because those people didn't have to do that. They didn't have to do that. That when you start loving God, I would just warn you. I, I give you this warning. You're, gonna, you, you're probably going to succeed. I just want to warn you that if you start making loving God the most important thing in your life, you're probably going to manage to do it. And you're going to do things you didn't believe you would ever do before and enjoy them. Because your heart is full of love. I mean, how many, of you, how many of you remember back in your single selfish days that you ever thought you would stay up all night with kids throwing up and having blowouts <laughs> and cleaning up after them? And you never thought you could see yourself doing that. But now you're doing it and, well, you're not loving it, but you're close. <laughs> Praise is the language of love. Let me throw a couple of verses up there quickly. Acts 17, 25. Just throw it up there. I'm not even going to read it. God doesn't, it's already made the point already that you don't need, God doesn't need anything from you, but you need to love him. And then Psalms chapter 50. All the world is his, but he says, I want you to offer me the sacrifice of thanksgiving. I want you to pay your vows to the Most High. The language of God is praise. The, the language of loving God is praise. Because loving God is ex about expressing our enjoyment of God. Listen to this long, very long quote by C.S. Lewis. And I, I regret that I don't have it on the wall because it may be a little difficult for you to follow along. But I'm going to try anyway. He said, the C.S. Lewis said, the most obvious fact about praise whether of God or anything strangely escaped me. I thought of it in terms of compliment, approval, or the giving of honor. I had never noticed that all enjoyment spontaneously flows into praise unless uh, sometimes even if shyness or the fear of uh, the fear sh uh, sh shyness or the fear of boring others, sorry, it is deliberately brought into check by it. The world rings with praise. Lovers praising their mistresses, readers their poet, walkers praising the countryside, players praising their favorite game. Praise of weather, wines, dishes, actors, motors, 
horses, colleges, countries, historical personages, children, flowers, mountain, rare stamp, rare beetle, even sometimes politicians or scholars. I had not noticed how the humblest and at the same time most balanced and capricious or capacious minds praised most, while the cranks, misfits, and malcontents praised least. You see? Loving God is good for you. That's what he's saying. I had not noticed either that just as men spontaneously praise whatever they value, so they spontaneously urge us to join them in praising it. Isn't she lovely? What is, wasn't it glorious? Don't you think that magnificent? The psalmist is telling everyone to praise God. Uh, the psalmist in telling everyone to praise God or doing what all men do when they speak of what, what, what they care about. My whole more general difficulty about the praise of God depended on my absurdly denying to us as regarding the supremely valuable, what we delight to do, what we indeed, we can't help but doing about everything else we value. I think we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses but completes the enjoyment. It is appointed consummation. It is not out of compliment that lovers keep on telling one another how beautiful they are. The delight is incomplete, till it's expressed. Westminster's Catechism says this, The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. So, what am I inviting you to begin to prioritize? What am I inviting you to begin to practice? What, am I, what, am I, what purpose am I really inviting you to? I'm inviting you to begin to enjoy God. <laughs> Amen? God could have made this all very difficult. He could have asked for our eldest child. He could have asked for all of our money. He could have asked us to move rocks from one side of a, a gravel pit to another, back and forth all day. But God instead released you, most of you in this place, probably 100%. But, but a large percentage you spent the last week of your life on your pursuits your pursuit of industry your pursuit of fun your pursuit of fellowship and connection with other human beings your pursuit of going through life God is so gracious that he says go ahead and pursue life but love me while you do it. So today, let's say, let's hear God say, just love me and see where it leads. Just love me and see where it leads. Would you stand? Now, I want us to do something right now. I want us to express our love for God. If you live with someone and they said they loved you, but they never express it. When you, when you press them, it's, oh, yeah, I love you. But they never spontaneously expressed it. You would not feel loved. So right now, we want to make God feel loved. How can we do that? In a, how can we do that in like 90 seconds? How could we make God feel loved? Well, what did he say? He said, offer me the sacrifice of thanksgiving. So we, we have something that we do around here. It's in the Bible. It's called lifting hands. The Bible says we're to lift holy hands. It's all over the Bible. We're lifting hands. 
Uh, the Bible also talks about lifting our voices. Shout unto God, the Bible says, with a voice of triumph. So, in a minute, I'm going to count to three, and on the count of three, we're going to do our best impression of a very emotional, wild, uh, get-down-to-business church and give praise to Almighty God. And I'm going to ask you to do that for two whole minutes. For two whole minutes, I'm going to ask you to lift your voice and tell God how magnificent and awesome He is. After I do that, I'm going to just open up the front and you, many of you will want to receive communion. And that, that will be a way of sealing your love for God. And if you're here today and you're not a Christ follower yet, you're not a Christian, this is a great way to become a Christian. For you to begin to praise Him for your salvation and for your forgiveness of your sins. And, and you can say, and I want, you to, I want you to come down and receive communion as your expression of your uh, commitment to faith. And that you're going to spend your life with, with the core of your being is going to be loving God with all of your heart. You ready? Are you ready to praise Him? Okay, you ready, everybody? Take a deep breath. You're not, I know this is not, you're not used to it, but getting loud. One, two, three. Lord, we praise you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Lord, we love you and we praise you and we magnify and we thank you for your marvelous grace and your marvelous mercy. We thank you and we praise you and we glorify you because you are our everything. You gave your life on the cross of Calvary and I am saved eternally. I can know that if I were to die today, I would go to heaven because of what you did for me on the cross. I am free. I am saved. And I can bring the very problems and difficulties of my life to you today knowing that you are going to see me through, that all things work together for me because I love you and I I am called according to your purpose. Hallelujah. Give God a big round of applause. God bless you. Hallelujah.